Hi, this is Robert Kwok. I'm the co-founder of Aptelligent, and you're listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host, it's Paul Kemp. So today, uh, this show is all about inspiration. Uh, we love success stories. We love to know that it is possible to create awesome businesses uh, around apps and around the mobile space. Uh, and so today, I've got literally one, one of the best success stories uh, I can remember talking about in, in a long time. Uh, I've got the head of Appster. Uh, he's the uh, co-founder and CEO. And let me just uh, explain this. At 19 years old, he started with less than $3,000 in 2011. And he has since grown the company, Appster, to over 350 employees. Uh, and he works with technology startups from all over the world. And so we're going to get great advice. Um, let's introduce uh, Josiah Humphrey. He is the co-founder, co-CEO of Appster. Uh, Josiah, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Pleasure to be here, man. I'm excited to, uh, you know, talk about talk about apps, talk about the world of apps, I guess. And uh, we're excited to talk about you, but let's start from where you started from. Then, so can you take us back to when you were a young 19 year old guy and uh, you had this three thousand dollars in your pocket? How on earth have you gone from that to 350 employees? T tell us the story. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, it's it's been quite a journey. I think uh, we we started in 2011, um, so it's been about nearly six years now. Um, so yeah, it was it was just myself and my co-founder Mark McDonald, and we had in fact, well, I mean, this is not the way I would sort of recommend everyone to start a business, but we had this idea of. You know, if we if we can go and get an office in the city, um, you know, a really big, fancy, expensive office in the city, that'll force us to, you know, do well and and, and create a business. Um, you know, not the typical advice that you'd want to give someone, which is to bring on a lot of you know expenses before you have, you know, good revenue. But um, you know, at the time we were very naive, and it was just, you know, we thought it would be a cool thing to do. So we we actually uh, you know managed to you know put on some suits, look a little professional. And uh, we, we ended up signing a lease um, for an office called in the Rialto Towers. It's actually the, the tallest office building in the Southern Hemisphere uh, in Melbourne, Australia. And, um, you know, we signed a lease there. And, you know, then all of a sudden it was like, okay, now we, now we have to make rent. Um, and so then we kind of were, you know, going through the process. We hadn't actually started Appster at that point yet. Um, you know, we were running a marketing agency at that point and helping clients, you know, with their marketing. We then... You know, also started an education company, which was ironic because I'd I dropped out of school at 17, and um, I just thought it was funny that we'd started an education company to educate students on how to, you know, do well in exams, <laughs> being a dropout. Um, and then, you know, eventually later that year, we we also came up with the idea of of starting Appster. And I think the the biggest lesson for us, because we eventually ended up closing the education company down, um, because we were like, you know, we need to you know, work in an industry, um, you know, such as mobile, for example, you know, that was the industry that we picked. Um, but we want to work in an industry that's growing. And then even if even if we're stupid, and we make a lot of mistakes, you know, we'll probably just grow anyway. Um, so that was actually the whole idea, you know, in terms of getting into the mobile industry. And I think I think it was a great choice, because I mean, you know, I, I don't just speak for myself, but you only have to look at the explosion of, of growth 
in you know in the in the mobile industry in the smartphone industry it's just been tremendous um so you know that's how we got started it was very much a burn the ships moment you know getting an office but you know it, i mean it did really put us outside of our comfort zone like that it was kind of a, a a shock to be like okay now we now we actually you know now this thing's real like now we've got outgoing expenses um and and you know i i do always try to challenge people you know you have to in in some form get outside of your comfort zone i don't you know i mean if you if you have a family and you're putting food on the table i'm not saying you know sell the house and and you know put every single cent into your startup um but you do have to challenge yourself you know you do have to get outside of your comfort zone so you know that's how we sort of got started <laughs> Yeah, and actually, you mentioned explosion in mobile. Uh, when I started the App Guy podcast, I didn't think I would have enough guests to fill up, and here we are on episode five hundred and eighteen, and it's just this a constant flow of uh, of founders and CEOs. But you know, one thing I find is that Josiah, that the um, you know, you, you talk about real startups, and do you feel like many of the uh, the entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs out there think they're running a startup, but really they're just kind of bootstrapping and they're not taking on, you know, a, a serious um, uh, startup themselves, just feeling that they're, they're doing stuff. Yeah, well, I think it depends on, you know, what you're building, right? I mean, there's a lot of, let's call them uh, appreneurs that are kind of just, uh, you know, they're building a single type of app that, uh, you know, maybe it's a game or maybe it's some it's got some utility value that, you know, maybe they're gonna sell on the, the app store for ninety nine cents. Um, you know, at least it apps to the kind of people we work with, the technology entrepreneurs. You know, they see a certain uh type of opportunity in the market, maybe something that's not being done as well as it could. Maybe they could bring a new solution, you know, to an industry or in some sense, you know, maybe disrupt the status quo of that industry with technology. And for me that there's a very big difference between just making a cool app and actually deciding to, you know, build a com you know, build something that what you know might one day, you know, become a great company. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, it depends on, on what the, the concept is, but, you know, we've seen uh, over the last few years the rise of, you know, on-demand, uh, you know, with Uber and all these different other on-demand apps you can get now, um, or, you know, certain types of marketplaces, for example, like Airbnb. So, you know, that that's kind of the, the space, at least, that I'm a lot more familiar with is how do you build a sustainable, uh, you know, fast-growth company um, as a technology entrepreneur? If that makes sense, yeah. Th let's explore that because I think that when people see the success of certain companies on the app store, they feel like they can emulate that by just simply creating an app. But what you're talking about is uh, building a real technology startup, you know, that perhaps is part of the ecosystem, but uh, uh, you know, not just an app. It's actually more than that. Let let's flesh out that idea of, of how to really monetize and build uh, something that is, um, you know, outside the, just a, a normal app. I mean, well, how do you do it? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, there's various stages, right? I mean, we see a lot of people, you know, get into things too quickly or they think, you know, that their idea is absolutely incredible and it's guaranteed going to work. Um, and actually in a lot of those cases, you know, they really need to slow down and really, you know, challenge themselves, you know, being brutally honest and asking the question, you know, am I actually really solving a core problem? You know, is this a problem in the industry? Is this 
um, you know, I used to be a fan of uh, Gary Halbert, who was a copywriter back in the day. Nothing to do with, you know, with apps or the technology business, but he always used to use the uh, the notion of a starving crowd. Um, you know, are they are they people that are absolutely you know screaming for a solution? Do they need something to be better? And if you can look in in an industry, um, you know, that you have experience in, or maybe even you know, you've got some nagging feeling or, or it's a personal problem that you've had that you think, you know what, there's other people out there that, that have this problem as well. You know, then you can, you, you know, you might, you know, be closer along the lines of, you know, finding, I guess, your your starving crowd or, or, or you know, solving a core problem. Then another, another issue on top of that is, you know, it's great if you're solving a, a, a problem, but then, you know, is this something that you can make money from? And there's two ways... I guess that you can look at that, you know, sometimes obviously, you know, you look at Snapchat, you know, not yet profitable, but IPO'd recently, you know, I think they, they, they had a top, a top of uh, 26 billion in terms of market cap, um, you know, not profitable, but still extremely valuable. Um, you know, their, their valuation comes from their user base and just, you know, Snapchat's obviously had some tremendous growth over the years. Um, then there's other apps that actually have a business model. You know, you look at uh, SaaS, which is software as a service, um, say a company like Atlassian that provides, uh, you know, different software tools to software developers and people pay, you know, $5 a month, um, you know, for those services. And that might be like a SaaS model. So either you're building a user base that, you know, could have a lot of valuation and maybe you exit that company later or, you know, you take on investment and eventually get acquired or something like that. There's some sort of, you know, liquidity event. Or, you know, you're building a, a company that can actually eventually sustain itself, you know, through cash flow. Um, you know, you know, sometimes that's a SaaS model. Sometimes that might be a freemium model. You might be building a game, um, you know, where, where the app's free to download and then people pay, um, you know, for the service over time. They buy, you know, in-game currency, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, you need to figure out if you then have a core monetization model because there's certainly a lot of problems, um, you know, for example, you know, you know, going to a new city, and uh, you know, not knowing where the the nearest public bathroom is, right? There's apps for that, um, but you know, can they can they build a sustainable business that might be worth you know tens of millions of dollars or or hundred million dollars plus one day? You know, probably not. Um, so you know, we we generally uh, at least at Apps, you know, we focus on you know people that are trying to you know disrupt an industry or, or build a solution that you know has some type of you know, monetization model and, and they have their sort of sights set on, you know, building a great company, um, you know, maybe something that could be worth, you know, millions or tens of millions uh, of dollars one day. That's generally the ambition that, you know, a technology entrepreneur has to some extent. Yeah, and I love the fact that you mentioned uh, looking at core problems and, uh, what, you know, we've had lots of episodes uh, with founders uh, who keep coming back to that uh, theme uh, which is solving a core problem. Now, the other big theme that's come out of all these uh, episodes I've done is uh, the theme of getting feedback or validating uh, your idea. I wondered if you had any thoughts on how best to validate uh, a business proposition or an idea uh, when you actually get struck by this idea. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, validation is key. And I think definitely, you know, before you bet the farm and you decide to spend whatever it is, I mean, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in development, potentially, I mean, you know, if you're trying to build something world-class, if you're building a world-class platform, you know, that kind of stuff's going to cost a lot of money. 
So it makes sense, you know, as an entrepreneur that you need to validate the idea. Even, even in fact, um, you know, a perfect example is actually Appster. Um, you know, before we got started, you know, what are we? We're, you know, nearly 400 employees now over a few different offices around the world. But, you know, when we first got started, it was just Mark and I. And, you know, we had this idea. We're like, okay, well, we want to help, um, you know, startups and companies, you know, build apps, but we don't know if it's going to be a good idea. So, you know, how are we going to test it? And I think, you know, we've always sort of, you know, taken that approach to business in general with everything, you know, everything is an experiment, you know, there's no, there's no guarantees in business or or in in building a company or having an idea, you have to experiment. So, you know, what we did with AppStore was we, we, in fact, you know, we had no developers at the time, we just thought it was a cool idea. So we hired an actor, um, you know, we filmed a video explaining our our intensive development process. It, it, It sounds kind of funny going back to it now. Um, so, you know, we, we filmed him talking about, you know, here's how we develop apps and da 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 We, we also built a, a very professional website, um, you know, sort of outlining what our process were, was. And then we spent, you know, maybe like $100 on AdWords to drive some real traffic, uh, you know, to the website and, and test it. So we ended up getting some leads. We ended up calling people up and, and you know, eventually actually, you know, bringing on some clients. And then it was kind of like a mad dash to actually hire some developers and start, you know, doing the work. But I, I mean, I would challenge people to be doing the same thing. I mean, the, I mean, for me at least, you know, the number one reason that I see startups fail is that they believe, you know, their own uh, grandeur so so much. So you know, this is guaranteed. It's going to be a a million dollar or a billion dollar. I mean, if if I had a dollar for every time someone told me they were going to build the next Facebook, because we hear, you know, we probably hear like 2,000 ideas a month around the world. And it's just crazy how many people just have so much belief in what they're trying to do. Yet, you know, when we ask the basic questions, have you validated the idea? What core problem are you trying to solve? Have you gotten real feedback from customers? Have you asked the questions on, you know, whether or not they're willing to actually spend money on this solution? Um, the amount of just, you know, deer in the headlights kind of stares we get is is kind of concerning. So, you know, to that point, I think, you know, you have to be very smart about how you can do validation. And I don't think that it means, you know, having to actually go and build the product right away. Now, that, I mean, there does come a time and place when, you know, at some point you just have to build the product. You have to get it out there. You have to test, you know, what the market reaction is. But things you can do initially um, is, you know, building a prototype. Uh, getting a designer and just, you know, building a basic prototype together and actually going and talking to people, you know, that might have that use case and saying, hey, this is the, the idea that I have. What do you think about it? You know, walking them through the process, seeing if, you know, they have the aha moment and think, wow, you know, this thing's fantastic. Then, you know, asking the question, you know, what would you pay for this? Would you pay money for this? What if this was a a paid service or, you know, what, what kind of money would you pay for something like this? I also think, um, you know, not just because, again, you have to be also very uh, wary of the fact that especially if you're just asking friends and family um, especially people, and, and particularly if they're not in the industry that you're trying to serve, um, you know, you, I mean, th- there's plenty of friendly mothers out there, right? Let's just say that, um, you, you know, you you want to, as much as possible, you know, be brutally honest about, you know, whether your idea is good or not. Because the last thing you want to do is waste time and money, you know, f- spending the next three years of your life on the wrong, on, on an idea that's not even any good. So, um, to me, it's also, uh, you know, looking for people like, let's say you were building, uh, let's just say it's an Uber for haircuts, right? Um, you know, actually speaking to people, speaking to the target demographic of, um, you know, people that, 
Um, you know, maybe use a barber on a regular basis every two weeks, you know, finding out who those people are. Then you can, and again, then I would still even be cautious of, cautious of the feedback you get there, especially when you're face-to-face to, with someone. You know, not everyone's going to say, well, that's a crappy idea. You know, not everyone's that is that sort of blunt or let's just say honest. So you could take it even a step further. And I think, you know, Facebook certainly has just some wonderful um, targeting capability these days. Um, you know, for example, again, let's talk about the Uber for haircuts uh, business model, right? If I wanted to validate this idea, again, I would set up a landing page. I would have some images of the app. I would say, you know, sign up, um, you know, sign up for a free, you know, to get access, um, early access to our Uber for haircuts app, um, you know, collect their email address and their phone number. And then, you know, call up those people as well, because those are people that are actually, you know, it's not someone you've you know, found on the street um, that's going to be friendly to you face-to-face. It's someone that's actually shown an interest from an ad that you've published. And again, it's, it doesn't cost too much on Facebook to run these sorts of ads and target um, the right kind of people. You know, you could target people that are interested in, you know, uh, hair products or people that have liked, you know, maybe a very, uh, you know, sort of a, a famous sort of local barber shop let's say in the area you could you can be that specific with your targeting in facebook which is you know why i absolutely love facebook for validating ideas um and you know then then you know ask those people as well you know what do you think about the idea is this something that you would use um not only that but say hey you know we're actually in the process of building this thing would you like to be on the the beta list for this and and these can be people you know as you go through the the journey of validating that idea you know, through every stage, you can really lean on these people in a big way. And that's, that, that, that I guess is always my, my advice to people that are going through this journey of like validating your, your idea at every stage, you know, at an idea stage, at a prototype stage, at an MVP stage is you need to stay so close, you know, to your customers, to people that are using the app, because they are really going to be your source of truth at the end of the day. I mean, as well as, you know, as well as analytics, uh, you know, and, and measuring retention and onboarding and all these different things um, that are so crucial to really seeing if your app, you know, can eventually get traction. But I mean, like I, like I, probably, I probably sound like a broken record saying it, but you really have to take the approach of, you know, challenging your idea completely and being brutally honest about yourself as to, you know, whether this idea is going to be good or not. And then at the same time, which is a tricky thing to do, but then you also have to balance that with having, you know, an absolute certainty and belief that, you know, you want to make an impact in a market and, you know, do something remarkable. But, you know, it has to be balanced with, you know, is this something that actually has legs? You know, how do we validate this at every stage? So, I mean, those are some of, I guess, some of the things as an overview that that I would be thinking about if I if I had an idea I was trying to validate. Well, Josiah, what I love is the fact we're on the same page. And uh, the reason I started this podcast was to try and get to the genuine stories of uh, app success and, and, and cut through the hype. Because, you know, you mentioned 2,000 odd app ideas come to you or 2,000 ideas every month. Yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure that the uh, the success stories that go to the uh, sort of tech crunches and the mashables and all the uh, it is in the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, and then they pluck the one success story and uh, then that gets kind of pushed around. So uh, do you feel like there's um, almost like so much misinformation to to actually how hard it is to you know build a successful app business? Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely think that it's, it's glamorized, right? I mean, uh, I feel like, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, 
specifically even technology entrepreneurs are kind of like, I mean, starting a startup is kind of like what starting a rock band was in the 80s today. Um, and I mean, I live in San Francisco, right? So this is like the ideas hub of the world. And it's it's very much glamorized around, oh, you know, uh, you know, this person started this thing and in six months they were a multimillionaire. I mean, that that's kind of like you hear that story in the press all the time. But it's funny, you know, I mean, a lot of these people are my friends and, and, and peers and um, you know, we, in fact, you know, we've worked with a bunch of different startups that have gone on to have multi-million dollar valuations and be acquired and all this kind of stuff. But you'll see even in those cases, you know, if you were to talk to that person, you'll see the amount of hustle, you know, the amount of grind, the amount of work, you know, that goes in into making a quote unquote, you know, overnight success. And I, I'm certainly, you know, testimony to that as well i mean unless you're willing to work i mean it's not something where it's just like oh cool let's i have a really cool idea i'm going to stick it up on the app store and then i'm going to be a multimillionaire. i mean that that never happens i can't think of one case you know where i've seen that happen it it's it always takes work it always takes you know hard work to validate the idea at different stages hard work to build um you know what could be considered something that's just an amazing product hard work to then you know figure out what those channels are going to be from a marketing perspective and what's really going to fuel the growth all of those t- things take a lot of work and certainly you know if you're thinking about getting into the space you better you better be prepared to really put in the effort um and understand that it's it's not necessarily going to come easy and if i i, I mean if i talk to any of our you know success stories at appster it's almost like it's funny, but it's almost like I can I can almost pick them out these days, you know, who I know is actually going to run with things and be successful. Because oftentimes it's not even the original idea, uh, you know, that, that was successful, but rather through a lot of trial, you know, this is what I, uh, why I was talking so much about validation and testing so many different things and running, you know, a million different experiments, but through trial and error and, you know, improving over time, you eventually come out with the product. And oftentimes the first version of the product is not actually what ends up being successful. Um, I mean, I I can quote a a million examples of this. For example, you know, YouTube was a video dating site. Um, You know, Twitter was a service called Odeo. It was a podcasting service, uh, in fact. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's another one? I'm, well, they were I mean, right Urban. to get out of podcasting, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what's another famous one? I would say oh, uh, Instagram, wasn't it? Yeah, Instagram. Instagram, was, Instagram that, uh, was a was a Foursquare knockoff. PayPal was a was a transactional uh, software for BlackBerry. Uh, Flickr um, started off as an as an MMORPG, I think it was, or maybe that was Slack. I think Slack started off as a as a game. Uh, but again, I mean, I mean, I can quote you know many more examples. But my point is, is the, the you know these entrepreneurs you know if you're wanting to become another success story you know they have a lot of grit they have a lot of persistence and they know that you know not always the original idea or you know what that uh you know version of it is is the thing that that is going to make it it's generally a lot of iterations a lot of improvements it's talking to customers it's getting feedback over a period of years um you know that gets them to that stage and i think that's something to you know, to really think about is, you know, and to question is like, you know, do I want to put in the work? Because it's a lot of work. I can tell you that much. Like it's not. And, and that's my point is like when I, when, when I see clients like these days and we have a lot of clients that come in, you know, I, I can almost pick them um, these days where it's like, okay, well, I, I can just tell that this person's, and I'm not necessarily talking about like, when I say intelligent, I don't necessarily mean like IQ. I mean like 
they are smart enough to know that they're willing to, you know, experiment and try and try and try again until they eventually find success. They're very persistent. And I would say that's probably the number one characteristic I see, you know, again, seeing thousands of ideas and, and having worked on, you know, with hundreds and hundreds of, of different entrepreneurs. The, those are the, the people that, that make it is that they have that persistence and that hunger to just go out there and, and make it happen no matter what. So that's really what separates the, you know, the talkers from the, the people that actually make it. Yeah. And Josiah, one of the other things that I get asked uh, quite frequently is uh, how to get funding. And uh, you, I know you've got some tips perhaps for those uh, founders and uh, CEOs that are perhaps at the start of their journey for trying to get some funding. Yeah, yeah. No, that's an awesome question. I mean, it's a question that we get asked all the time is, you know, I've got this really great idea, but I've got no money. And I think, first of all, you have to think about, you know, the resources that you have, um, you know, because there's a few ways to go about this, right? There's different options. When you've got an idea, you, uh, you know, you, you might want to, you know, find uh, an engineer, maybe give them some equity, uh, maybe a couple of engineers, and, and, and maybe that's your way to you know, pay for the pay for the development for building the product. Um, you know, in, in some cases like that, you know, maybe you can't afford to pay a salary, so it's literally just all equity. You guys become partners, and you're able to build a product. This is if you're a non-technical founder. Um, you know, another way is maybe you you know you work with freelancers, um, or you know maybe you offshore it depending on your budget. And you know, sometimes that can be a really good way, um, you know, to build something. But you know, I mean, also also throwing a little caution into the wind. Um, you know, again, and this is just my perspective because, you know, I have the full belief that if you're really serious about building something great, then it's got to be world class. Um, and oftentimes, you know, working with freelancers, again, depending on who, because there's plenty of, you know, brilliant freelancers out there. Um, but oftentimes it's very hard to control the quality there. You know, the other option is, for example, working, uh, you know, with a company like us. I mean, we're, you know, more on the side of, you know, building something world-class and, and, you know, running validation and designing product strategy and all the kind of stuff that we do. But, um, you know, that, that comes with a with a, a large cost as well. I mean, you know, it, it can cost, you know, $100,000 plus, you know, sometimes a lot more than that. And, you know, so, so first of all, you have to think about, you know, what are the resources that you have and what are you willing to dedicate and what do you think is the best path in order to make the product? So that's the first step. And then it's deciding on, you know, what your appetite for raising investment is because, uh, you know, it might be that, and again, this depends on a few things, right? Because you have to understand that if you're wanting to raise investment, then you're going to have to give up equity. And equity technically is the only thing that, you know, when you have an idea, that's all that you have. You have an idea and you have equity. That's it. So you you have to really be um, careful with with that, I think, early on you know, how you give that equity away, you have to really manage that because otherwise very quickly you could be diluted out of the company, you can lose control of a company, you know, at later stages of, of funding as well, especially depending on what kind of terms you have with an investor. Um, and then you have to decide, you know, are you able to maybe, you know, grind it out and get some version of an MVP out 
um, you know, before you, you know, go and take on serious investment. Um, because again, if you, if you do that, then you're probably going to be able to save a bit more equity, you know, sig- sometimes significantly more equity because, you know, you've got more of an, more of a product out. Um, but if you've just got an idea, then, you know, be prepared to give away, again, it's different in every case, um, you know, but be prepared to give away a lot more equity than you would if you, you know, had an MVP and you had traction. Now, the interesting thing is depending on the you know the way that you get investment you know for example working with angel investors you know tracking down angel investors and getting investment particularly if you just have an idea like i said they're going to be taking a lot more equity and in fact you know the way that the funding markets sort of are right now um a lot of the time they're going to want to have already seen traction um you know that you've grown users you know maybe that you have some uh, you know, some traction in some form in terms of, uh, you know, revenue as well. Uh, but again, it's different in every case. And, and in fact, a lot of the time for, you know, first-time founders that are raising their seed round, um, which is the first, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, round that you would get of funding, you know, after after that comes series A, B, C, and, and onward. Um, but in seed funding, you know, oftentimes we recommend that founders, you know, try and raise from friends and family, um, if they can before professional investors, particularly VC. I mean, most VCs don't do a, a, an incredible amount of seed funding, but you're going to get much friendlier terms, you know, raising um, from friends and family because generally they're not investing in the idea. Their risk profile is is not uh, is is much uh, lower, and more than likely they're actually investing in you, and you know the relationship and the rapport that you you have with them. Um, you know, working working with angel investors again, take it with a grain of salt because it depends on who you find, and you know there are some very generous um, angel investors out there that are willing to invest in an idea, you know, with no traction. That um, you know, whatever they just believe in you, they believe in the idea. Um, but you know, generally, that's you know that's going to be trickier in, in the way of negotiating, you know, uh, good terms and also getting. Uh, you know, also in the amount of equity that you're going to have to give them as well. So I would say those are some things to think about then, you know, so that that's sort of on the side of, you know, I guess, thinking about how do you want to, you know, raise funding and sort of understanding, you know, what are the things that you really need to have sort of thought out in your mind before you then go through the fundraising process. So now let's talk about the, the fundraising process. Um, this is different for everyone. You know, sometimes, I mean, we, we, we have a, a workshop that we run, um, called startup ready where we coach founders on how to raise funding. And, you know, in fact, I think a, a guy last year, I think he was like 18 and like one of the first calls that he had, you know, he ended up raising like half a million dollars. Um, but you know, that, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's, I mean, most of the time, you know, it's meeting after meeting after meeting and, and being rejected constantly. And you have to build, you know, a very strong mindset and, and I guess the fitness to be able to go out there and be rejected time and time again. Um, you know, particularly if you're, if you're working with, you know, professional angel investors versus friends and family. But I think the biggest thing for me when it comes to that is like, I oftentimes like I'll hear from founders that are like, oh, you know, Josiah, I've, I, I'm trying to raise funding and I'm, I'm really struggling. Like I'm having a hard time raising the funding and I, I sort of know what's up, right? Like I'll ask the question, you know, I mean, that that's, I mean, that sucks, man. Like what, I mean, how many investors have you reached out to? Oh, well, you know, I've spoken with like two or I've spoken with three investors and, you know, all of them have said no. And for me, it's like, well, 
you know, reality check, dude. Like you're going, I mean, you know, speak to a hundred, speak to 200, speak to 300, um, you know, before you complain about, you know, you can't raise funding because I mean, look, I mean, a perfect example of this is Airbnb, right? I mean, they have a, a $20 billion. I mean, they, I think they just raised another 500 million or another billion in cash, um, you know, to, to expand, but like they were rejected by every, every investor in Silicon Valley. In fact, the the investor that said, you know, okay, we'll put up some cash, they didn't even like the initial idea. They they were just like, you know what, we love the team. We think you guys will somehow, you know, figure it out. You're very resourceful. You'll figure it out. But you know, are you, are you willing to, you know, you have to really question yourself. Are you willing to take on, you know, rejection hundreds of times? Because sometimes that's what it takes to get the funding. Um, and and you know not not everyone is and not everyone's willing to willing to put in the hard work. But certainly, if you've only talked to three investors, then you know you need to get over the fact that you know you. I mean, you're <laughs> definitely not working hard enough. You definitely haven't talked to enough people. So, I mean, that's a. I mean, I think that's a good overview um, of of you know what it takes. Josiah, in the, the final few minutes we have on this episode, uh, again, the, the the biggest thing that I actually think. Well, I mean, it's actually personal to me now. I'm currently helping launch an app that I'm part owner of. Uh, and uh, yeah, I get this all the time, is is marketing a startup? Marketing is, you know, one of the, um, I mean, it's such a noisy uh, kind of, um, you know, environment out there. How can we over get through all the noise and market successfully? Yeah, I mean, that that is sometimes honestly more critical you know having the right distribution model for your product oftentimes it's more critical even in, in, than the product itself and certainly you know we we uh you know work on a lot of products and do a lot of marketing and, and, and in some cases have done some really crazy stuff gotten you know hundreds of thousands of downloads and weekends and different things like that and i, I saw it's we see a lot of different things because we test a lot of channels um but but i would say like for me like a lot of people, you know, they come and they're, they're working with Appster and they say, oh, you know, like what's our market, you know, what should our marketing strategy be? What, what, what channel, you know, they all want tactics. They want like a quick, a quick fix kind of like tactic, like what channel should we use? You know, what sort of ad should we run on Facebook, you know, for a cost per install campaign? Like, but to me, it's like, okay, before you even think about that, like this is for me that the foundation of all marketing really is that your product is your marketing. That's really where it starts. So, you know, first of all, you have to look at your product and say, you know, is this something that I know would just create this incredible experience for whoever is using it? And the way that I would sort of challenge people on that is go and look at the apps that you use every day because the average person only uses, you know, in a, in a given week only uses on average about eight apps. Go and look at those eight apps that you use and ask yourself the question, is the app that I'm building as good as, you know, those apps? Um, you know, is it world-class? Does it have a, an incredible user experience? Do people, you know, walk away from it saying, wow, that was amazing. Um, you know, that added a lot of utility value in my life. And, and, and even more importantly, this is, the, this is really the magic source is like, okay, now I'm going to tell my friend about it, right? And, and if you can create that, I think, you know, number one, that's going to give you that organic sort of word of mouth marketing where it's, you know, enemy. I mean, take Uber, for example, right? They are, you know, they probably have, uh, you know, um, a bigger app marketing budget than any company in the world, yet their number one channel 
um, is word of mouth, is organic referrals. Because someone uses Uber and they say, oh my gosh, you know, this is much better than, than using a taxi. So to me, that's the foundation. Before you think about, oh, what cool, you know, marketing channel am I going to use? Think about your product and making a world-class product. Um, then, then, okay, then let's go to channels. Now, you know, for everyone, it's going to be different. And I think certainly um, there is a lot of emphasis placed on, oh, you're, you know, let's just run a Facebook, uh, you know, ad campaign and we'll be good. Um, but a lot of a lot of times, and and to me, Facebook is certainly probably the best channel uh, in mobile, partic- particularly for the targeting capability. But even then, there's a lot of you know acquisition cost in that, um, and, and particularly uh, you know if you're if you're building an app that doesn't maybe is a freemium app or maybe you know doesn't have a monetization model yet, then you have to be even more careful you know, with your acquisition strategy and your, your cost per acquisition. So sometimes it's actually about doing the things that don't scale. Um, and what I mean by that is, is, is actually getting out there, knocking on doors and really driving that organic growth. Now, the best way to do that is, is actually to, first of all, focus, um, you know, particularly, let's say if it's a location-based app or if it's something where, you know, you're trying to build a brand, oftentimes it's not smart to just launch that globally right away. Because you want to try and build that brand equity very quickly in, you know, one place where people can start talking about it and people can start using it. Like, let's say it's a, it's a two-sided marketplace and you need to find buyers and sellers, you know, again, taking the Uber for haircuts model, right? You've got to find barbers and, you know, you've got to find people that, that want to get a haircut. Well, you, ha- you have to find both of those people. And if you spread out too quickly, let's say you want to go after the whole of America first, um, you know, it's going to be harder for you to, to build you know, both sides of that market. So you want to try and focus on one location. You know, Facebook is a perfect example of this. They did this, um, you know, at, at Harvard. Um, and, then, and then eventually they moved out to other universities, but they focused on one place, you know, in in one place first. And that's that's the thing I think people, you know, they make a big mistakes a lot of the time thinking, well, I'm going to take this global right away and, and look how big my market is. It's a billion. I have a billion people that I could potentially reach where it's like, no, dude, like you need to focus on... Um, a very, very small subset of the market first and make those people raving fans, you know, deliver a lot of value for those people, you know, build the brand up there, get word of mouth happening, you know, let's say, you know, you pick a city like Seattle, you know, do that in one place um, first and then you can go and expand to different places. Um, but but like I was saying, going back to, you know, doing this, doing the stuff that doesn't scale, um, you know, knocking on doors, you know, again, Tinder, I think is a really get, great case study of this. Again, it's not like they overnight had crazy amounts of, you know, downloads and everything just went bonkers for them. They had the work to get that initial traction. And, and one thing they did was they wanted people to reach, uh, you know, in a mobile app, what's called the aha moment and get some value from that. So what they did was they went to universities and they would go to both of the sororities and they would get people, you know, they'd throw a party, they'd get people to download Tinder, but the smart thing was they were doing it at the same time. They were setting up, you know, both sides of the market. And the aha moment in Tinder is, you know, when you when you get that match, it's like, oh, okay, someone actually, you know, whatever, they like the way that I look. Uh, but my point is, is that, you know, even even an app that was had the explosive growth that Tinder had, you know, guess what? One day, once upon a time, they had zero users, and they had to, you know, have build a street team and go out there and actually hustle, you know, to get their first downloads, um, and focus on on one location. So oftentimes, it's in doing the things that don't scale. Now, the other, 
you know, side of the coin, and, and I mean, some of the stuff that we help, uh, you know, clients do as well is, you know, then you're looking at scaling out marketing campaigns and testing different channels and, and optimizing different channels. And I mean, that's more, I mean, that, that, that can be a lot more complicated, but I mean, if I was to summarize it very briefly, because I know we're wrapping up here is, you know, you need to test a lot of channels. You need to test a lot of creatives, banner ads, ad copy. Um, you need to test your landing pages, you know, make sure you're doing the right things there too. Um, you know, test all those different things. And there's a lot of different channels, right? There's paid ads. There's, you know, producing content that's really useful, you know, for an audience. Um, you know, there's running events. There's all sorts of different things. But test those different channels and, and break down, you know, the investments that you're having to make. Break down what the cost per acquisition is. And then if you can, you know, you break down what your ROI is for each of those channels as well. And then you end up having a very, very clear picture of, you know, what channels are working best for me. You know, because at the end of the day, marketing is not is not um, something that happens by luck these days. You know, it's not like you just buy a billboard ad and then, you know, you have 100 million downloads. It's very much about, you know, run, running scientific experiments and using the scientific method. And that's probably, you know, in terms of scaling campaigns, I mean, that's probably the best advice that I can give is that, you know, don't don't just throw money into a hole and not know where you're getting results from. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of other people on this podcast have 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 you know explained the the process of how that's done. But you know, it's critical that you don't just leave marketing to chance. You know, you have to run experiments, you have to measure, you have to understand your metrics. So I mean, that's I mean, that's probably the brief sort of overview advice I would give around marketing. <laughs> Yeah, Josiah, that is absolutely incredibly valuable, uh, and one of the big, uh, you know, objectives of this podcast is to try and save people money. And uh, you know, one of the easiest ways to burn money is to hire a PR agency and expect everything to be taken care of. So, uh, Josiah, it's been wonderful talking to you. This has been one of the most valuable um, chats I've had in a long time, and I really appreciate you know your time uh, how best can people reach out and connect with you what's the best way of getting in touch if it's for appster um just uh, appster a-p-p-s-t-e-r-h-q.com and in fact i would say like you know for people that are going through the process we have a lot of just you know completely free resources um, under our resources tab, you can learn more about funding, about user acquisition, you know, about how to build apps that are sticky. You know, we have tons and tons of different white papers that I think will be super helpful for people that are, are going through the process. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the easiest way to sort of get in touch with us and check out what we're all about. And yeah, definitely to the listeners that are out there, I mean, you know, make sure you, you're you're willing to put in the work and, and, and more than anything, I think, have the self-belief because it is it can be a lonely road you know i know i know you know probably people that are listening to this i mean you're doing the right thing because you're you're getting out there and you're learning and you're thinking about you know how do i do something great how do i build something great um you know keep on that path of learning and you know and and also you know try and develop that self-belief that you know you are going to figure it out and that you know it is a journey i think sometimes people are you know too impatient um, about success. They think, oh, well, it's supposed to happen in three months. You know, every other person is an overnight success, but that's actually not true. And and, and I think the, the thing to really think about, something that I certainly try to ask myself every day is, you know, what seeds am I planting on uh, a daily basis that are going to grow into trees 
<laughs> kind of a funny analogy, but you know, what seeds am I planting that are going to grow into trees, you know, one, three, five, ten, twenty years from now? And I think if you think like that and understand that most success stories or most successful people are actually playing the long game and they've been doing it for, you know, years and years and years and years. I think Jeff Bezos is probably my favorite example of that. But, you know, understand that it's it's about the long term. And if you're willing to be consistent, you know, over three, five, ten years, I mean, that's when you'll truly, you know, see successes in, in being persistent. So just, I guess, my, my last bit of advice for people out there that are trying to make it. Wonderful. Josiah, thanks very much for coming on the App Guy podcast and sharing your wonderful wisdom. No problem. I've really enjoyed it, man. And hopefully some people have gotten value out of it.